Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original, lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com slash Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. We continue our chat from last episode about the future of gardening in 2023 with Andrew Bunting, Vice President of Horticulture with the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society. And we'll find out about the big Philadelphia Flower Show coming up in March. We're podcasting from Barking Dog Studios here in the beautiful Labutalon jungle in suburban purgatory. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast brought to you today by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. Let's go. Last week in episode 245 of the Garden Basics podcast, we began our conversation with Andrew Bunting of the Pennsylvania Horticulture Society about gardening trends that are coming up in 2023. We talked about the growing number of gardens with ecological functions, such as putting in native plants and pollinator plants to bring on the beneficial insects and birds. We also talked about the trend nationwide towards water-wise gardens and gravel gardens, and also how more and more people are using the autumn season to extend their time in the garden. This time, Andrew Bunting tells us about trends towards using more battery-operated instead of gas-operated garden equipment, the growing popularity of cactus, succulents, and aeroids, which are rhizomes or tuberous tropical-looking plants, and a trend that I've adopted wholeheartedly, using fallen leaves in the garden. When it comes to um, feeding your plants, uh, the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society has a great trend coming up for 2023 that makes a heck of a lot of sense to me. And it's something I've been practicing for a few years now, leaving the leaves. Yeah, so that's you know a relatively new trend. And I would say it's hopefully a trend that people are starting to consider. You know, in a lot of, I would say, most municipalities, probably across the country, one of the kind of rituals of fall is to rake up all your leaves. Where I live, people rake them to the curbside, and then a big truck comes by and sucks them all up a couple times during the fall and maybe even er- early winter. But if you don't mind the aesthetic of leaving the leaves in your garden, they will naturally decompose. Some people might not want a lot of coarse leaves in their in their garden. So kind of an intermediate approach would be uh, maybe to rake all those leaves out into the lawn, run them over once or twice with a lawnmower, and then at least rake the chopped up leaves back into the bed. If you don't want the fully natural look of the leaves left in the garden, uh, maybe consider uh, that, that approach. And the idea is that especially if you just leave the leaves totally whole, that it provides habitat for all sorts of overwintering pollinators, insects, worms, probably salamanders, et cetera. It just provides some level of of coverage. I actually had a a company that is is maintaining a corporate campus in Manhattan in, in New York City, and they were looking to kind of take 
this ap- approach, but they were also having to convince corporation owners that this was uh, an acceptable aesthetic. So with a lot of these changes, whether it's using kind of more natural, naturalistic or native plants and maybe a more naturalistic planting style or, and or leaving the leaves in your garden, it is a, it's a shift in how many people think it is the, the way to garden. But you know, what we're finding is public gardens, for example, start to do this type of gardening or, you know, maybe just some influential home gardeners or it's written about or it's on podcasts. Then, then people understand that this is uh, an alternative. One of the things that we see a lot is people have a house, they have shrubs in front of their house, and then they shear them all into squares or meatballs or whatever. If you can just convince, you know, a handful of people to stop doing that and just let them grow into whatever they're intended to look like and maybe do some selective pruning, then they're kind of started the trend. What that does is it reduces the amount of fossil fuels being used, which is also trending. I think you're starting to see so many uh, homeowners using a battery operated machinery, whether it be a lawnmower, a weed whip, a blower, there's even good chainsaws. And then the industry has actually followed suit where, you know, a lot of these companies are producing all of those same pieces of equipment that that the industry can use. I know in California, you have an upcoming ban on uh, many, if not all, two-cycle engines. Is, is that right? Yeah, and it, but really the complaints are about the noise of leaf yeah. blowers. And unfor- yeah. unfortunately, there are battery-operated leaf blowers, but it's the blower that makes all the noise yeah. that, that gets people yeah. all upset. So they're working on, um, and they are making them a lot more quiet. And the loud ones you hear are probably old gas-powered models anyway. So with something like that, I think it's kind of twofold the uh, the battery-operated ones are quieter, and they don't use uh, fossil fuels, obviously, because they're battery-operated. So, you know, I, I think you'll start to see more and more kind of use of that type of equipment. But getting back to kind of leaving the leaves, if you don't leave the leaves in the garden, the other alternative, which, you know, should also be considered is instead of raking them out to the curb to have a machine suck them up is compost them on site. So, you know, you might leave some in in your beds as kind of a natural mulch for the fall and winter, and then they'll kind of just decompose into the soil in the spring. Or if if you just have too many, uh, you can take the balance and just do your own uh, composting. So Composting can be fairly simple. Like I actually have a uh, a couple bins where I put all my organic matter, but can't do that. Just even making a pile of organic matter, even if it doesn't have sides, it will still naturally decompose into soil. And what you'll find is like the best soil is on the bottom. So if you need some soil, you can dig into the bottom of the pile. And then once you've dug that out, then the stuff on top will collapse down and you'll add more stuff on top. So you just have this constant uh, supply of compost, which essentially once it becomes fully 
decompose, turns into topsoil. And right at this point, my listeners are waiting for me to start preaching about putting leaves on the garden again. So I won't disappoint them, and I will. Leaves <laughs> leaves are great on a bare garden bed, especially, like you said, chop them up, maybe with a mulching mower. Or what I like to do, and my neighbors love me because I do rake up their leaves, especially the oak leaves, and put them in a 30-gallon metal trash can, stick my string trimmer down into it, and chop them up that way and then spread them on the bed. And you talk about composting them, and that's a great idea, too. Uh, Smart Pots now makes a compost sack that holds 100 gallons, and by interspersing layers of the chopped up leaves with maybe some chicken manure and just letting it sit there over the winter, you can have some great compost come uh, spring. Yep, yeah, for sure. And one more thing about leaves, I, I got to say this because uh, leaves are wonderful because as they disintegrate and get absorbed into the soil, it increases the soil microbiology. It feeds yeah. the soil. It keeps weeds from germinating. Leaves acting as a mulch and mulch has a whole world of benefits, including all those that I just mentioned. Yeah, they, you know, what people either don't realize or don't, maybe don't fully understand is, uh, you know, that there's as much of a ecosystem, probably more of an ecosystem underground, you know, between mycorrhizae, other types of organisms that, you know, really keep the soil biology healthy so that our plants are, are healthy. Bacteria and fungus in the soil make the world go round. Yes. I've told you about Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric planters. They're sold worldwide. Smart Pots are proudly made 100% right here in the USA. They're BPA-free and lead-free, making them safe for growing vegetables and other edibles. Well, the folks at Smart Pots have added a new product to their lineup, perfect for building the healthiest soil imaginable for your garden. By composting, it's the Smart Pot Compost Sack, a large 100-gallon fabric bag that's lightweight yet extremely durable and lasts for years. It can hold 12 cubic feet of pure compost. This rugged fabric is entirely porous, containing many micropores that allow for air circulation and drainage. It's easy to start a compost pile with the Smart Pot Compost Sack. Just open the sack, set it on level ground, and start adding your compostable materials, grass clippings, vegetable peelings, coffee grounds, and more, as well as fallen leaves, straw, and shredded paper. Next, place the optional cover over the sack. That's all there is to it. Smart Pots are available at independent garden centers and select Ace and True Value hardware stores nationwide. You can find the location nearest you at their website, and you can buy it online from Smart Pots. Just visit smartpots.com slash Fred. And don't forget that slash Fred part, because on that page are details about how, for a limited time, you can get 10% off your Smart Pot order by using the coupon code FRED, F-R-E-D. Do it at checkout from the Smart Pot store. Visit smartpots.com slash Fred for more information about the complete line of Smart Pots lightweight, colorful, award-winning fabric containers and their new compost sack. And don't forget that special Farmer Fred 10% discount. It's Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com slash Fred. 
The weather may not be perfect for outdoor gardening right now, but it's perfect for planning your 2023 garden. Now's the time to plan the what and the where of what you want to plant for the future. And to help you along, it pays to visit your favorite independently owned nursery on a regular basis throughout the fall and winter just to see what's new. And coming soon to that nursery near you is Dave Wilson Nursery's excellent lineup of farmer's market favorites. Great tasting, healthy fruit and nut varieties. They'll already be potted up and ready to be planted. And we're also talking about a great selection of antioxidant-rich fruits, such as blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, goji berries, grapes, kiwi, mulberries, gooseberries, figs, and pomegranates. Wholesale grower Dave Wilson Nursery has probably the best lineup of great tasting fruit and nut trees of any grower in the United States. Find out more at their website, DaveWilson.com. And while you're there, check out all the videos they have on how to plant and grow all their delicious varieties of fruit and nut trees. Plus, at DaveWilson.com, you can find the nursery nearest you that carries Dave Wilson's plants. Your harvest to better health begins at DaveWilson.com. Let's get back to our conversation about 2023 garden trends with Andrew Bunting. One of the uh, trends that you foresee for 2023 are aeroids, and that includes a lot of popular plants. And one that we talked about recently when we were talking with the uh, uh, Diane Blazek of the All-America Selections uh, Winners Executive Director, uh, one of their winning plants for 2023 was the Colocasia, also known as Elephant's Ear or Taro. And that is uh, an amazing aeroid if there ever was one. Yes, yes. So that that one, Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's mask, is interesting in that it's an elephant ear, but it's almost like it's folded inside out. So on most elephant ears, you might have you know, the front of the elephant ear, which is a big kind of heart-shaped leaf, and it might, may have a variegation or whatever. And then on uh, the backside or where the veins are, and this almost looks like it's folded inside out so that the veining aspect of it is, is much more prevalent than it is on other types of aeroids. So the, you know, the elephant ears alone, and those usually are under the genus colocasia or alocasia, you know, for probably in parts of California, a lot of them, especially colocasias, are hardy. For us on the East Coast, they become hardy, say, from you know, North Carolina, South, in the Philadelphia area, they're not fully hardy. However, they're, you know, they do great for summer plantings. And then you can just dig them up. I actually dug up some yesterday. You just dig up, let them get frosted, dig up the tuber, maybe put it in a nursery pot with a little bit of mulch or compost. And then I just put it in my basement, which is kind of has cellar-like conditions for uh, the winter. So I just kind of, that's how I overwinter it and then plant it back out in in the middle of May. Yeah, Diane Blazek of the All-America Selections Committee was was telling us that uh, what she does, she has a a colocasia, the, the Royal Hawaiian, on her front porch in a container. And what she does is she just brings the container in and, and puts it in her basement as well for the winter. And then as uh, January turns into February, she uh, gives it some light and it springs back to life. And by spring, she can set it back outside. Yeah, I love, uh, I use in my home garden, a lot of elephant ears for for summer interest they're they're tough 
and they, you know, from just a, a big tuber, they they can get exponential growth in in a growing season. Another plant that's very popular uh, both indoors and outdoors is, is coleus, and, and you see a trend uh, with house plants continuing. That uh, craze just keeps going. Right, that's true. There, there, uh, that that has been popular both like you said it indoors and uh outdoors and what are the popular house plants back there i would say that the popular house plants are uh, many of the aeroids uh philodendrons anthuriums pothos uh, another one that has has seen a, an incredible renaissance is what commonly is called it's a great name uh mother-in-law's tongue mm-hmm. and that uh, the sansevarias uh so the sansevarias and and if your listeners aren't aware of them they're kind of these uh pointy or green leaves that that are have been a popular house plant for for decades but now there's uh, many new variations some that are a little dwarf, some that are tall some that are cylindrical yellow variegated, white variegated, almost all white ones. So those are popular. I would say, you know, anything that you can put in a hanging basket, like you remember macrame hanging baskets that were popular in the 60s and 70s. Well, the macrame is back and the plants that go in them is back. Yeah, there's been this amazing renaissance in general with houseplants. It supposedly has been attributed to maybe a couple things, COVID and people being indoors far more often than they would normally be. But even before that, you know, a lot of young people, uh, this has been kind of their gateway or entry to horticulture has been through houseplants. Um, You know, just here in Philadelphia, we have, uh, you know, different Facebook groups like the Philly Plant Exchange, and that has like 19,000 members who just exchange mainly house plants in the city. There's another one, Philly Plant Purge, which has almost 10,000 members. Then we, you know, a lot of our uh, kind of local societies that promote house plants, they've become popular, especially with younger people. So, like the, the Indoor Plant Society, the Begonia Society, Jesneriant Society. Uh, the one that's really big around here is our local chapter, the Cactus and Succulent Society. And I think a lot of that is also kind of catalyzed by the flower show. So part of the Philadelphia flower show is there's an area called the Horticort. And if you want to bring and show kind of like a dog show or showing your vegetables at the county fair, if you want to exhibit your Sansevieria or one of your aeroids or a coleus or whatever the case might be, there will be a category that will fit your plant, Philadelphia Flower Show. You can bring it and um, you can have it judged against all your competitors. So just at the Flower Show, there's hundreds of classes and we usually get over the course of the Flower Show about 5,000 individual plants that are judged. And uh, some of these are grown by people under grow lights in their row house in Philadelphia, or some are grown by, you know, multimillionaires who have estates out in the country. But it's uh, kind of a le- level playing field, 
And it, it's, you know, it's a lot of fun because, you know, we get kids who have never exhibited before who might win a, a blue ribbon against, you know, uh, a seasoned uh, competitor. So that has just helped to even galvanize even more so this amazing trend of houseplants. And I, I don't see it maybe ever, ever waning. What's interesting about some of these trends is once they start trending, they... Yeah, you know, some of them peak and, and then go downwards, but some of them, you know, like hydrangeas is is a great example where, you know, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago or so, Martha Stewart in Martha Stewart Living had a hydrangea on the cover of her magazine. And from that day forward, hydrangeas have had an international renaissance. They've gone from being kind of an old-fashioned shrub that maybe your grandmother had in front of her house to probably one of the most in vogue shrubs if not plants period in gardens worldwide so and they they continue to trend up same with elebores you know native plants and then house plants you know because people are not only rediscovering some of the old uh, stalwart ones like spider plant jade plant uh, mother-in-law's tongue, all of these aeroids, but there's so many new houseplants coming out too that, you know, maybe, you know, for years were an interesting plant in a botanical garden conservatory, and now people are starting to propagate them. And so the the world of houseplants is uh, unending because there's so many choices out there. Definitely. What goes around comes around. The uh, wholesale growers of houseplants that I talk to are saying it's amazing how the plants that were popular in the 50s and 60s are making a renaissance right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, another thing we do that's become really popular is at some of our different uh, public garden venues, we'll do a, a plant swap. So we'll announce it. And to participate in the plant swap, all you have to do is either bring a little division of, of whatever you have, whether it's a garden plant or a house plant. It may even just be some cuttings, some coleus cuttings, some jade plant cuttings. You have to just bring something to, to trade or swap. So if you bring five of whatever, then you get five of whatever. And people bring bags of soil and they bring extra pots. Like anything that you might use for gardening, which is surplus, uh, they bring to the swap. What the swaps have done is kind of multifold. It's again a, a great kind of gateway activity for somebody that's perhaps new to gardening, and it's kind of not intimidating, which which helps. It's a great social event, so it's a great place for other gardeners to meet new gardeners, seasoned gardeners, fellow gardeners, and it's free. We really promote it. The Pennsylvania Horticultural Society is sharing. So we like to think that somebody who has a vegetable garden that has extra produce will share it with their neighbors, share it with a food kitchen, share it with a food bank. We like the fact that sharing knowledge is, is common amongst gardeners. And then these plant swaps is another great way for people to, to share what they might have extra of. And then for people to benefit from these swaps and getting perhaps some new things for their garden. Yeah. And if you want more information about this, go to their website, phsonline.org. Well, you brought up 
the subject of food, and that is also an ongoing gardening trend that's good just about in any year. It seems like when COVID hit back in 2020, all of a sudden, everybody's gardening. And uh, the seed companies at the time were telling me, we're swamped, we're out of seeds. What's going on here? And it turns out people are growing their own food. Yeah, and that's another trend that I don't see waning. COVID did force a lot of people who really uh, needed food to try to produce their own food. You know, we, like many cities in the United States, we have serious food insecurity issues. So COVID only compounded that problem. And also, since people were spending more time at home, that they really turned to the garden as as both a, a hobby, but also as a source for food, people didn't want didn't want to go out and go to the grocery store. There has been an amazing boom in uh, the interest in growing your own food, sharing your own food. Again, we partner with over 150 community gardens throughout the city of Philadelphia. And part of that movement is to grow your own vegetables. But if you have extras, to share them as well. And the great thing about food gardening is you can do it in a a relatively small space. I know that there's new cultivars of tomatoes, for example, that are so small that you can just grow them in a little pot on your windowsill. But if you just have, say, a, a sunny back stoop or a little patio or just a tiny little garden, or maybe you don't even have a back garden, you just have a front stoop and maybe a front sidewalk, but it's it's mostly sun. You can put some whiskey barrels out there or any type of vessel that will hold soil that has drainage, and you can grow vegetables. So what's great about most vegetables is they're easy to grow from seed. You might start the seed again on your windowsill and grow some small tomato plants, pepper plants, eggplants, whatever the case might be, to kind of get a head start. But once they're going, you know, the bounty that you can get from some of these vegetables, especially cucumbers, squash, zucchini, and that family of the kind of cucurbits, if you have the space, you can grow a lot. Another way... I've seen people, especially online gardening, as in like they'll buy like a or find a horse trough and fill it. Uh, you know, not, you don't even have to fill the whole thing with soil. You can uh, partially fill it with just whatever something that's going to decompose, like uh, logs or branches. And then you might put some cardboard over that and put some leaves down. And then another layer of cardboard so that the only maybe the top six to eight inches is soil. And then all that other other stuff under, underneath that will actually decompose over time and add to uh, the soil mass of that container. So really the only thing you need to grow vegetables if you don't have any land yourself is some sort of vessel. And it might have been something that was never intended to grow vegetables. So just some sort of container. And then it has to have drainage. So you have to like, you know, maybe uh, uh, cut in or drill in some drainage holes in the bottom just so the water uh, flows out. And I mean, there was already, I think, a great enthusiasm for vegetable gardening, but it's just, it's been spread out. And I, you know, I think I heard, you know, I might get this slightly wrong, but it was something like 75% new vegetable gardeners kind of evolved during COVID. 
I, I think a large percentage of those new gardeners are, are going to stay gardeners, or at least that's what the data is showing. If you don't have a space to garden, you should seek out a community garden. That's one of the areas that we really promote in Philadelphia is not everybody has a space to garden, but perhaps there's a community garden uh, within your neighborhood that you can become a participant in. And maybe you have your own plot or maybe you share a plot with, with somebody else. Or maybe if the whole community garden is full, maybe you have some chores and then you can also partake in the harvest. Yeah, a couple of notes I would like to add about uh, food gardening. And you mentioned the uh, bountiful harvest a lot of these crops can make and what can you do with them. Well, right across the river from you over in New Jersey, an organization yeah. was started called ampleharvest.org. And if you go to ampleharvest.org, put in where you live, you, you, the town where you live, it will tell you where the nearest food closet, food pantry, food bank is nearest you, where you can drop off your fresh produce. So that's ampleharvest.org. So when you find yourself with too many zucchini, tomatoes, peppers, or in our case last week, too many persimmons, th <laughs> that's a great place to go to for uh, moving your uh, excess harvest. And yes, container gardening, I think, is a trend that will keep going as well. And there's a lot of good reasons for container gardening, including getting the right soil mix for the plants you want to grow. And I'm thinking of blueberries. Blueberries need a very acidic soil. Here on the West Coast, the soil is primarily alkaline. So you can use a, an acid-based soil mix in something like a cattle watering trough and grow blueberries. It does wonders. You can paint it up uh, in your favorite tractor color and it looks great. I completely agree. Yeah. You know, vegetables also, you know, don't have to only be grown in a vegetable garden. They can, you know, they can be ornamentals in their in their own right as well. There are a lot of great looking vegetables out there. And in our conversation uh, recently with Diane Blazek of the American All America Selections winners, uh, they have a, an award winning cayenne pepper that is just absolutely gorgeous uh, in the way it looks. The award-winning pepper in the AAS uh, trials uh, this year is a cayenne pepper called Wildcat that gets about 36 to 42 inches long. The fruit itself gets 8 to 12 inches long, and it has a mild pungency, maybe 500 to 1,500 Scoville units. That's the uh, cayenne pepper variety called Wildcat. Just some outstanding peppers with great color and great size that will certainly be a showstopper in your garden. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of the companies that are doing breeding work, you know, are breeding for vegetables that are productive, but are also ornamental. I, get, I think peppers is as good an example as, as any, but there's also many uh, ornamental eggplants now, and the list goes on, on and on. I know there's a purple leaf mustard, and, you know, a lot of people are using many vegetables for uh, as ornamentals as well. I noticed one thing with the uh, Philadelphia Flower Show that's coming up March 4th through the 12th. You have an interesting wrinkle. I don't know if this is new or you've been doing it, but you're going to be doing tours before the show opens, I guess, as far as uh, having docent-led tours to go more in-depth into the displays that are there. And you're going to have one for photographers as well. Yeah, we've, we've been doing that for a while, and it's uh, we call them the early morning tours. It's a great way for people to have kind of a behind-the-scenes tour 
of the Philadelphia Flowers show, as well as go there when maybe there aren't as many many people as there would normally be during the uh, middle of the day. So it's kind of a, a win-win opportunity for visitors to see the show at that time of the day. Right. And for more information about the Philadelphia Flower Show that's coming up March 4th through 12th at the Pennsylvania Convention Center, you can visit the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society's website, phsonline.org. Andrew Bunting is the vice president of horticulture for the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society. Andrew Bunting also has a book out that was published in 2015, The Plant Lover's Guide to Magnolias. So I would imagine that uh, you have a, a, a few magnolias you like. Yeah, so I I grow some magnolias. My yard isn't quite big enough for a, a lot of magnolias, but on the East Coast and then where you are in California, those are both exceptional climates for growing a, a, a myriad of magnolias. Some, you know, some of my favorites, which I know also do well in California, are the southern magnolias, which is Magnolia grandiflora. It's a great evergreen magnolia. A lot of people this time of year uh, prune branches and use them for wreaths and holiday swags and and, and indoor arrangements. So that's a great, a great one. So many great flowering ones. You know, one of my favorites is called Wada's Memory, W-A-D-A apostrophe S. And that's an early spring flowering one that flowers at a young age, covered in uh, medium-sized white flowers, fragrance. And again, there's the yellow magnolias, which uh, were hybridized originally by the Brooklyn Botanicarn. So Ones like Elizabeth with soft yellow flowers, butterflies, uh, Lois is another great yellow. So uh, magno- we could do a whole uh, episode on magnolias. So maybe that's something to uh, consider in the future. I think when the saucer and star magnolias start to put on a bloom, I think that would be a great thing to talk about. Yeah, I'd, lo- I'd love to do that. Andrew Bunting with the Pennsylvania Horticulture Society. We've been learning about trends that are coming up in gardening in 2023. Thanks so much for your time and have a a wonderful experience at the Philadelphia Flower Show. Thank you for having me. In the latest edition of the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter, America's favorite retired college horticulture professor, Debbie Flower, offers tips for controlling a pest that really can be a garden good guy. But when they're marching into your home on a cold or rainy day, ants are not your friend. We have ant control advice and also why ants are a big part of a successful garden, at least when they're not trying to kick off the beneficial insects who are going after the aphids on your plants. Yeah, ants are nature's little cowboys and cowgirls tending their herd of aphids on your roses and other plants in order to collect that sweet residue to take back to their nest to feed the queen. But if ants are marching into your house or taking up residence in your mulch pile, it's time to take action. Check out the Friday, December 30th edition of the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter and podcast. For current newsletter subscribers, look for the Ant Control newsletter and podcast. It's waiting for you in your email, or you can start a subscription. It's free. Find the link in today's show notes or sign up at the newsletter link at our homepage, gardenbasics.net. Mm-hmm. 
The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast comes out once a week on Fridays. Plus, the newsletter podcast that comes with the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter continues, and that will also be released on Fridays. Both are free, and they're brought to you by Smart Pots and Dave Wilson Nursery. The Garden Basics podcast is available wherever podcasts are handed out, and that includes our homepage, gardenbasics.net. And that's where you can also sign up for the Beyond the Garden Basics newsletter and podcast. That's gardenbasics.net. Or you can use the links in today's show notes. And thank you so much for listening.